0: my mom and dad were not ever together. Um, they were never married. They were never really dating. And I've known that since I was old enough to comprehend it. You know, it was just one of those things. I was like, okay, you know what? Like I know who my dad is. I know that they both love me. I know that they're going to be here for me. Um, so I was with my mom consistently, you know, her and I obviously got really close. I would hang out with my dad every once in a while. So when I was 12 or 13 years old my mom sat me down and, um, Just told me, like, you know, the person that you have believed to be your biological father to this point is saying that he is not your biological father, that you are not his son. Um, Basically, just kind of throwing everything out that we had ever experienced together or any relationship that we had built. Um, That hurt. That sucked. So, what do you do as a 12, 13 year old kid that is? no longer being claimed by the person that's supposed to love them for the rest of their life it just leaves you shattered it left me shattered i was in tears i remember being in my like curled up in my mom's arms crying just uncontrollably for hours on end and there was nothing she could do to soothe that there was nothing she could do to to fix that hurt and it just felt like my heart was ripped out i was just broken into so many pieces i remember just being so angry um and saying, like, how could you, like, I messaged him on Facebook. I was like, how could you do this? Like, this literally is the worst day of my life. And That experience is what made me hesitant to grow close with God. And, you know, it's widely understood that your earthly father is the first representation that a son or a daughter has of the heavenly father. That's why for a long time I thought that I had to earn God's Love. I thought I had to earn God's presence. Like I thought that His presence was more of a privilege than it was a gift. And that's something that it took me a long time to realize that God wants to be with me. And that's not anything that I had had from a fatherly figure really early on in my walk with with Christ was something that was revealed to me that you could have this ceramic vase and it could be sitting on a countertop and if it gets knocked off it's going to shatter. And if you put it back together it's going to visibly show that it had been broken before. But it's functional. You can still use it for something. And if you put a light, if you put a light source inside of that broken vase, it's going to shine through those cracks. And even though the vase is repaired, it's going to shine through and it's going to show the brokenness, but it's going to show the good that's inside, that's coming out of it. And that's something that I know that God can do with anybody. He definitely did it with me. He took me from this place of, not feeling love, just desperate for some sort of affection. And he took me to being the person that is shining out onto others because of me placing God in my heart. That's why I'm so passionate about working with youth ministry and um, young adults is because I am now what I needed when I was in middle school and high school. And I know God's going to use that.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here today. Um, We need a little rain, so we're getting that, so we're thankful for that. Glad you're here. We've been talking about, uh uh-oh, we've been talking about grace these last several weeks, and... Let me just remind you of the definition of grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. It is his presence, it is his peace, it is his power given to us as a gift. This is grace. God claims that his grace is sufficient for every need that we have. God's presence, God's peace, God's power is sufficient. It's enough. Where where there is trouble, where there is circumstances that burden us, challenge us, threaten us, God's grace is greater than that. You can name anything you have in mind, any experience you've had, any failure you've had, and God's grace is greater. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. So we've been talking about God's wonderful, sufficient, amazing grace. And today we want to conclude this Series uh, by talking about grace is greater than your brokenness. And we've chosen as our scripture today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. Of course, we'll project the words on the screen as well. Our custom is to stand, so I invite you to do that as you're able. This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church at Thessalonica, He said, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil, and may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. No. That's a no. That's, this was written pre-COVID. Can't be going around kissing people. Not, not now. Maybe later. Not now. I know you want to. Resist the urge. Don't do it. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And may God inspire and instruct us today through His Word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. So, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, verse 18 from our text, and he says, Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you. Give thanks. In all circumstances. Now that's kind of a unique challenge, isn't it? Kind of a hard, high bar. Give thanks no matter what. Uh, circumstances are those details that surround our lives. Circumstance or circumference. So that there is a circle of issues around our lives. These are called circumstances. And we are to give thanks in all of the circumstances of life. Now if you've lived a while, you know That you have very little control over the circumstances of your life. Stuff happens. Stuff happens all the time. And regardless of the decisions we make, the choices we make, circumstances press into that circle of issues in our lives, whether we like it or not. And so we don't have much control over those. Paul, in spite of that, reminds us that we can give thanks in all circumstances. You say, well, you know the circumstances of my life are what's keeping me from being thankful, being joyful. Uh, I, mean, I mean, when you think about it that way, uh, it's if I it's I wouldn't be angry if I didn't have these circumstances. I wouldn't be disappointed if I didn't have these circumstances. I wouldn't be frustrated, irritated, depressed if I didn't have these circumstances. So we we play this if then equation with our circumstances. We imagine that if circumstances were different if they were just better then i could be happy and thankful i've played this game with my wife beth we've done this for years and if we have a personal challenge or a professional challenge i will just say out loud you know if that thing would resolve all of our problems would be solved and then she, and, and you know and i say it with great drama and then she starts giggling starts laughing like that's hilarious because that's not going to make it better. Just one thing in the circumstances is going to change everything. No. But we say this uh, to ourselves. If we just get that promotion at work, or if we'd meet the right person, or if my husband would just make an effort, or if my wife would just show some interest, or if my neighbors would move. <laughs> if you're sitting next to your neighbor, please don't. Don't look at him right now. Just kind of look away. Yeah, that, that'll send the right signal. If my health were better, if the parking lot were closer, if my parents would stop fighting, if the boss was nicer, if the co-workers were kinder, if my children were more obedient, if the house was bigger, if the car was newer, if the winter was warmer. Hey, no, wait a minute. That might do it, a warmer winter. No, that's circumstantial. That, that won't do it. That's not the point. This is sometimes referred to as the happiness illusion. We spend so much of our lives thinking that happiness is going to be determined by our circumstances, that we end up feeling miserable because there are always things we want to change. Here's the good news. One-point sermon. Today is a one-point sermon. Just one point. Aren't you glad you came? One-point sermon. Here's the point. You ready? Maybe some of you see it on the outline. Grace is greater than your circumstances. Grace is greater than your circumstances. Let me put verse 18 on the screen for you, too. I want you to really catch it. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now you may you may be challenged by that statement, and you wonder who wrote that. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote it, and then you say, "Oh, that's that explains it." The Apostle Paul he had he had a a, a very easy life. You know, he got fast track. You know, he's this great apostle, and God you know God just put him on easy street. <laughs> no, look look on the screen at Second Corinthians eleven. This is just a. Short list of things he'd been through. He writes, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. 39 lashes. Listen, you don't want one of those lashes. He endured it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. (laughs) Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I mean, but who's counting? This is quite a list, isn't it? I've been in danger from rivers bandits, fellow Jews, Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone often without food. I've been cold and naked. How many of you know that's a bad combination? Poor prospects. So he's saying, look, I understand what hardship is. I know what negative circumstances are i know what pressure points are i know what it means to be stressed i know what it means to be uncertain about tomorrow and yet in all of that he's able to say give thanks in all circumstances and you may say well maybe paul was just one of those annoyingly optimistic people you know people like this i know people like this some of you are like this you are you are annoyingly optimistic. You wear people like me out because you're just, the glass is always half full. It's always going to work out. Things are going to get better soon. You, you drive people crazy with with your optimism. Try, try to be more sensitive to those of us who are struggling <laughs> to stay optimistic. But there are people like that. And, and you say, well, maybe Paul was like that. Or maybe he's practicing the power of positive thinking. You know, this is, Been popular in our history. Uh, Positive thinking, of course, is where you tell yourself a lie enough times that you eventually start to believe it. (laughs) That's not it, though. That's not the motivation for Paul to say, in every circumstance, give thanks. He is experiencing, when he says that, he is experiencing and understands and applies God's grace. There's only one answer to the question how could anyone say, in everything, in every circumstance of life, give thanks? There's only one way. That's a person who understands God's grace. God's amazing grace. It's grace that allows us to look at whatever circumstances we may come and still have a spirit of thanksgiving and a spirit of joy. Let me put on the screens for you verses 16, 17, and 18. Just a reminder. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And he closes this book with, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So there's no way he can say, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances without grace. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's ridiculous to imagine that kind of mandate. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, be thankful all the time without the application of grace. And the reason that we are able to believe that this is possible, as we've talked about in this series, is because grace is greater. Grace is greater than our weaknesses. Grace is greater than sin. Grace is greater than secrets. Grace is greater than our shame. Grace is greater than our hurts. Grace is greater than all of that. And you don't have to live in the prison of bitterness any longer. Look at this statement on the screen. What God has done for you is greater than what that person has done to you. Can you absorb that? Can you believe it? It's true. What God has done for us is greater than what anyone's done to us. So God's grace is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than what we've done. It doesn't matter what mistakes we've made. It doesn't matter what guilt we carry. It doesn't matter what secrets we've kept. God's grace is greater than that. By the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he set us free from the past, and he gives us hope for an eternal future by his grace, amazing grace. And when we look at the difficult circumstances and compare that to the grace that we've received that can produce thankfulness, should be thankful. God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is amazing. God's presence, God's power, God's peace is enough no matter what. The word thankfulness actually comes from a Greek word in the original language called eucharistia, Eucharistia. It's a compound word. It's divided up into these two words. The center of that word, the root of that word is charis. Eucharis. The charis literally means grace. It's a gift. It's grace. And the preposition there means good. So maybe you heard Eucharist there. Good grace. Today is World Communion Sunday. Christians by the hundreds of millions all over the world today will pause and practice one of the means of grace called a sacrament of Holy Communion. Some call it the Eucharist, the good grace. Good grace, translated thanksgiving. The Anglican Church has written a liturgy for the sacrament of Holy Communion and it's exalted language and beautiful. Millions of Christians will use that liturgy uh, on this day. And the title of that liturgy is the great thanksgiving. Good grace poured out for us in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when we gather together in his name, as we will at the end of this service, we will do so with thanksgiving, Eucharistia. So when you read the word thanksgiving in the scripture, just for perspective, it never refers to a specific Blessing of God, act of God, favor of God in an individual's life. Boy, I'm so, thank- I'm so thankful that God healed me. I'm so thankful that God saved me. Reason to be thankful, of course, but the scripture never uses the word in that context. The word thanksgiving, Eucharistia, is always used in the context of God's goodness, God's character, and God's grace. So that thanksgiving is offered to God because of who he is not because of what he does. And this is what makes possible, the Apostle Paul saying then, in every circumstance, be thankful. Because there are some things that just are bad. You know, I just got a new car, just somebody ran into it. Praise God. And that's just kind of phony, isn't it? But because of who God is, I can see the circumstances of my life, the circumference of my life, And I can give thanks to God in all of these circumstances, not because of every detail being just the way I like it, but because God is a faithful God and he should be thanked for his goodness. Are you getting it? So so let me put this uh, theme verse on the screen for you. It's Hebrews 12, 15. Look at it with me. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So we know that you can miss a number of things in your journey with God. You're following God in your life and having faith in God. You can miss some details and be okay. But there's one thing you can't miss. You can't miss grace. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Now the latter half of this verse is the part we haven't seen yet in this series. And it says, so that no bitter root grows, causes trouble, defiles many. Because what we know is if you try to follow Jesus and you are absent of grace in your life, then you will become septic, you'll become caustic, you'll become acidic, you'll become judgmental, legalistic, same with churches, even churches that try to cling to the truth the best they can, you know, to an orthodox doctrine, churches get mean and judgmental and caustic and negative. And this is what Paul warns us against. He says, let no one miss the grace of God. Otherwise, a bitter root can grow and cause trouble. So we, we, can't miss, we can't miss the grace of God. Now, there are stories throughout the Bible that are evidence of God's grace. Let me just mention a few. The first one is from my favorite biblical character. His name is Joseph. He's an Old Testament character. You remember the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. Jacob had a big family, had a bunch of sons, some daughters too, and big family. Joseph was one of the children of Jacob, and Joseph was special. He was favored, Jacob always preferred him, and all of Joseph's brothers resented him because dad likes him best. And when Joseph was young, he had this dream, and in this dream, he saw himself in the, at the center of attention and all of his brothers bowing down and worshiping him. And Joseph made the mistake of sharing that dream with his brothers. And they despised him for it. They just hated him. So when the moment was right, they decided they're going to kill him. And they couldn't bring themselves to do that. And so rather than killing their brother Joseph, they sold him into slavery. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. And he's in the house of a man named Potiphar. and And Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. He gets convicted. And they send him off to prison. So here he is, despised by his brothers, sold into slavery thrown into prison, and left there to rot. Now, how many of you know those are bad circumstances? I mean, that's not, that's not a list. Those are years of very little good happening circumstantially. But Joseph didn't live in those circumstances. He didn't settle into those negative consequences of his life. Joseph had a dream, and Joseph believed in a sense of destiny, Joseph felt a sense of purpose for his life, that God had called him for a special purpose, some kind of destiny, and Joseph hung on to that. He clinged to that. And listen to me, every single one of us has purpose. Every single one of us has divine destiny. And because of that, we must not allow the circumstances of our lives to keep us from a hopeful hopeful future because of God's grace. And so what happened in Joseph's case, he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, the king, and he got out of prison. And then he got elevated because of his wisdom and God's favor on his life. So that Joseph now becomes the prime minister of Egypt. He's arguably the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Very powerful, very influential. And God gives him wisdom. And God warns him that a a famine is coming to the known world. And so he should storehouse food. And so for seven years, he storehouses food. And sure enough, the famine comes and now Joseph's family, his father and his brothers, they're starving to death. They hear that there's food, some wise guy in Egypt who stored food. That's the only hope we have. And so they go to Egypt and now Joseph's father and his brothers are standing before Joseph in Joseph's judgment in the courts of Pharaoh. Very dramatic scene. The, the father and brothers don't recognize Joseph. They think he's long dead and gone. The father's been told he was killed by, by an animal in the field, and the brothers know they sold him into slavery, and there's no way he survived it. And so they have no idea he's alive, and they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes his family. And Joseph is overcome with emotion. When he composes himself, he goes out in front of his father and his brothers, and, he's, and they're begging for their lives. Please give us some food. If you don't feed us, we'll die. We're going to starve to death. They're desperate. And now they're standing before Joseph. And Joseph says, I am your son. I am your brother, Joseph. The man now who holds their, their destiny in, their hand, in his hands. How many of you know the, the brothers all went, oh, stink. <laughs> How many of you know that's a bad moment for the brothers? Oh, oh, no. Oh, boy. But Joseph, you see, he, he clung to his sense of destiny. He rested in the grace of God, the grace of God, which is sufficient, his presence, his power, his promise, his peace, the, the grace of God residing in Joseph's life. And he, he makes this statement. He said, brothers, what you intended to harm me all those years ago, God intended for good. In in Genesis 45, 7, it says, but God sent me ahead of you. Now, this was Joseph's interpretation of of being sold into slavery and then thrown into prison. He said, God used all of that to send me ahead of you to preserve you as a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So Joseph now comes into his destiny, not just to get elevated to some position of power and influence, but Joseph now sees that his primary purpose in life and all these circumstances have taken place for a reason, that God had had plan in mind and destiny in mind for him, not just to elevate Joseph, but to actually preserve the people of God. The 12 tribes of Israel came from the names of these brothers, and they were preserved Not only themselves, but the whole nation of Israel was preserved through the life of Joseph so God could have an enduring witness in the world. Amazing. Let me just summarize that's grace. That's grace. That's grace on display. That's amazing grace. That's wonderful grace. That's astonishing grace. That is sufficient grace in the life of a man who went through all kinds of negative circumstances but endured. By God's grace, so that he could come to his destiny. Praise God. It's good preaching right there, by the way. You guys are missing opportunities to say something about it. (laughs) I can preach and say the amens too, but it'll just take longer. I've only got a one-point sermon, at least you could help a little bit. Right? Let me give you another example. Here's David, who became king of Israel. Now, David is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. This is a man who loved God and and there's reason to believe that David wrote most of the Psalms. And so when you read the, the book of Psalms, you see the depth and the passion and the, and the, and the, and, and the uh, sub, substance of his heart for God, his love for God, his appeal to God, his worship of God. And so there's a lot of merit. But remember, grace is unmerited favor, unearned favor, undeserved favor that's grace now david was not only a man after god's own heart but david is also a guy who lusted he's a guy who stole he's a guy who fornicated he's a guy who conspired he's a guy who lied he's a guy who murdered and when his sin was found out david's response to his sin was to repent of his sins and confess his sins to God. And this had to happen on a number of occasions in David's life. There was one big episode, but there were a number of other little episodes where David kept messing up and making bad decisions and poor choices, going the wrong direction for a season. And when he finally would come to his senses, he always, and this is the key, he would always say, I'm sorry, God, for my sin. Please forgive me. And because his heart was for God and because Because God knew that David really had good motives and good intentions from his heart. Every time David repented of his sins, God forgave him. Of all those horrible things he did, all those bad choices he made, all those bad moments in his life, and by the way, we've made bad choices too. We've gotten ourselves in a mess because of Bad decisions we made, every one of us. And when David repented of his sins and confessed his sins, God always forgave him. And God will forgive you. That's grace. That's grace. That's it. That's grace. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Amazing. Amazing grace. Last story. A pastor named Jean Leroux did work with a ministry called Love in Action. Maybe you've heard of it. Love in Action is a ministry that reaches out and helps people who are caught up in some form of sexual addiction. Jean tells about sitting in one of their group meetings. He'd never been to anything like this, he didn't really know what to expect, and there was this good sized group of men that had gathered. One of them went to the front to share his story, to give a testimony. He told about driving home from work earlier that week and passing a nightclub for adults. He said, when I drove by this adult nightclub, I really wanted to stop. And when he said that, a bunch of hands went up in the air, in the room. John says that when the hands went up in the air, he really didn't know what was happening. I mean, who would be asking questions during a story like this? And why are there so many questions? Made him Uncomfortable. But the guy continued his story and he said, I didn't want to, but I pulled in the parking lot and I went in. And again, a number of hands were raised in the crowd. The guy said, I spent the evening at this adult place. And he confessed some of what he did. And again, hands went up. He said, when I left, I felt so ashamed and I didn't think God could love me. And Jean reported that at that point, Every hand in the crowd went up except for his. And he just didn't understand why everybody had their hands raised. Why were there so many questions? Why weren't they being answered? After the meeting was over, the director stopped and said, you look troubled. And John said, I am troubled. Why are there so many questions? Why so many hands raised? Why didn't anybody try to answer them? And the director said, no, you don't understand. We have one rule here at Love in Action. You never struggle alone. So if you've ever struggled with the same thing someone else is confessing, you have to raise your hand when they confess it. Now listen to your pastor. Listen, we need more of that in the church. We need more of that in the church. We need more of that in this church. It needs to mark who we are as a people in a more significant and meaningful way. Because if we're going to be sure that no one misses the grace of God, be sure that no one misses the grace of God, then this needs to be a place of raised hands. Our lives need to be a place where we're willing to raise our hands. This doesn't need to be a place of a pointed finger as much as it needs to be a place of a raised hand, a place where people know that we're all broken. And can I just say it out loud for us? Everyone is broken. You are broken. I am broken. All of God's children are broken. We're broken. We are messy. We have agenda. We have baggage. We carry stuff around with us all the time. We have all kinds of weights and encumbrances that slow us down and weight us down. We're all sinners. Every last one of us. There's not one person more deserving than anybody else. Over the years, uh, 43 years of pastoral ministry, I've heard some things, you can imagine. I've heard people talking about their failures and their faults and the circumstances of their lives. What I want to do as we conclude this series is I want to go through a list of things I've heard with my ears over the years. And maybe you'll hear something in the list that applies to you and maybe you're in a position where you'd say, you know, I need, I need God's grace in that area of my life. I need God's help. I need, to, I need his favor in that area of my life. And maybe you'd be bold enough to even to raise a hand if you hear an issue where you need God's grace. And I know I'm talking to a number of people online today. And this may be a perfect opportunity for you. Maybe you're home alone or certainly with people who you know and love. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and as you hear this list of needs of God's grace, maybe you'll hear something that will cause you to raise your hand because we're all broken and we all need God's grace. Amen? Let's pause just for a moment. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Lord, I thank you today that your grace is greater than my addiction. That grace is greater than my pride that grace is greater than my materialism grace is greater than my lust grace is greater than my abortion grace is greater than my affair grace is greater than my abuse that your grace is greater than my loneliness Grace is greater than my divorce. Grace is greater than my anger. Grace is greater than my selfishness. Grace is greater than our struggle with infertility. Grace is greater than my fear of dying from stage four breast cancer. Grace is greater than my diabetes. Grace is greater than the pressure I feel at work. Grace is greater than the damage I've done to my marriage. Grace is greater than the mother who always was disappointed in me. Grace is greater than the father who never wanted me. Grace is greater than the walls I've built to protect myself from getting hurt again. Grace is greater than my ugly past. Grace is greater than my broken family. Grace is greater than my guilt. Grace is greater than my shame. Grace is greater than my secrets. Grace is greater than my sin. Grace is greater than my brokenness. Grace is greater. Grace is greater. Lord Jesus, you give us your grace freely. But we also know it came at an enormous cost to you. You shed your blood on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our past could be wiped clean. God, you've given us the power through your grace, power that we don't have on our own. God, you've made it so that whatever circumstances we experience in this life, whatever comes into our circumference, We can still be joyful and thankful because that's just how great your grace is. So Lord, today, right now, would you give us a glimpse of it? Would you help us experience it? Would you help us know it? Lord, I'm asking you, please don't let anyone within the sound of my voice miss the grace that you have offered to them in Jesus' Don't miss the grace of God. Receive His grace as a gift, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, "Amen, Amen." Well, take out the uh, communion elements that you received on the way in, and I want to lead us together. Let me just uh, let me just uh, say that it's the first time we've used uh, these containers and these elements, and and we've double-checked, and there there are no preservatives or additives added to this. I mean, there's a shelf life of about 90 days, so you, you buy these and then you use them, and so they're perfectly safe and f- fresh ingredients, so I wanted you to be assured of that. So I'm going to consecrate these elements now, and then we'll partake together, so just follow my instructions as we go. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, brethren, this is my body, broken for you. When you gather together and partake of this meal, remember what I've done for you. And likewise, the same night, he took the cup and he raised it and blessed it. He said, brethren, this represents the blood of a new covenant, covenant in my blood for the remission of the sins of the world. As often as you partake of it, Remember what I've done for you. Friends, this is the Eucharist, the good grace, the gift of God to us. We celebrate the Holy Communion as a means of grace, a conduit through which God's presence and peace and power can flow. And as we partake today, could I encourage you to receive and experience His grace. Now if you just take a moment and tear off the covering over the wafer just tear that off and let it fall into your hand. Do you have it? The body of Christ broken for you. And now if you'll carefully just tear the covering over the off the juice and if you don't pull it off all the way it'll be easier to Keep it from spilling. And the blood of Christ shed for you. So, Lord, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Lord, for this amazing grace, we give thanks from our hearts. Thank you for all you've done for us and for your sustaining grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?